this, 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 this show is brought to you by Safety FM. And from the border of liberty and prosperity in the highway in the north, this is Safety Wars for Monday, January 9th, 2023. I almost said 22. I know, I know, I know. It's 2023. And this year is just flying by. So, I'm going to be up front with everybody, all my supporters, all my listeners, and everything else. This week, it may be difficult for me to get all five programs in. We have, uh, I have uh, family members with COVID, and I'm the only one without COVID. So, uh, anyway, that's uh, basically it. So, how's everybody doing there, how was your weekend? I hope you enjoyed your weekend. Had a beautiful weekend here in New York slash New Jersey, northern New Jersey. So, anyway, uh, I'm still uh, feel, dealing with a lot of the fallout from my uh, father's uh, death last year. And we're selling things. So, I ended up selling uh, a lot of furniture this past weekend. You gotta love a marketplace. Facebook Marketplace. So, this morning I had some very strong conversations. If you catch caught us on Instagram over the weekend, uh, I did a release yesterday from my mom's house. What are we uh, talking about this week? So. Uh, I had mentioned this last week was Carlos's law, the new law in New York State. Now you're going to say, yeah, but Jim, you're in all these, you're nationwide and you're, you know, in several countries and this and that. Why are we talking about New York? Well, I'm going to say this. Uh, a lady, uh, another talk show host uh, who I've been listening to for many, many years said something very uh, said very something very uh, apt, very I don't know what the word is, timely, very true, whatever you want to call it, and that is that when things start to get rolling, right, especially in New York, New Jersey, California, uh, Illinois, Wisconsin, a lot of the other states, it's sort of like the first time. Uh, it's sort of like it starts here and then it moves across country. It becomes a very popular initiative uh, for whatever reason. I'm not saying New York or California or anywhere else that I mentioned is the center of the world. But uh, we tend to be very blue out here and uh, politically. Uh, very little balance. Some uh, There's a lot of uh, controversy in me saying this. I know that. But uh, a lot of times in the blue states things start and they end up going nationwide and part of the reason why i am here is uh one give you news and safety which is our purpose also to give you commentary uh as everybody knows i was involved in politics here i have not been uh shy about it i haven't been running for my past i was uh working on i did work on a lot of political campaigns worked with a lot of uh 
organizations, worked uh, with a lot of groups, a lot of candidates for a number of years, and I have some insight that uh, you're not normally going to hear with this, and I try to be as objective as possible, but I think everyone knows where I stand here. So uh, what am I talking about here? And uh, I'm going to, oh, let me issue this uh, warning. And I used to issue it on the podcast at the beginning of it. I thought it was cute. Uh, all the stories, the warning, you're going to hear, uh, you're going to hear some, uh, what was the phrase? You're going to hear a lot of, here, let me turn this down. I got an echo in the background. Uh, you're going to hear a lot of, ridiculous stories that sound ridiculous you're going to hear a lot of uh things that are 100 percent true but i tend to change the names here so all the stories that i share here are absolutely true but i have to change some details remain uh so i don't do violate any ndas non-disclosure agreements any uh uh, confidentiality agreements, anything to deal with national security or anything like that, because a lot of stuff came my way when I was uh, researching my book in uh, late 2000s on uh, nuclear terrorism and things of that nature. I ran into a lot of folks and a lot of information. So uh, I got to be a little bit careful and I got to be responsible with a lot of the information I have. So everything I do say is true. Uh, I might have to uh, change some of the details. I don't really embellish any of the stories. And again, they're from my point of view. Other people have other points of view. And that's just the way it is. So what am I talking about? Let's get to it. New York, uh, and I mentioned this last week, but uh, I encourage everybody, to, if you're in the New York area or if you're going to discuss trends in health and safety with your management, with your clients, and everything else, this will be a good opening here. Uh, I just want to, right, uh, the New York enacted, that's New York State, not only New York City. You know, New York City is a entity unto itself in a lot of ways. They have a lot of uh, local laws. They're like the, the Department of Buildings, uh, well, with their construction and everything else. So uh, New York State, as of January 1st this year, enacted Carlos's law. And this is uh, from President, uh, President Governor Hochul's press release. Quote, under the new legislation, a corporation is guilty of criminal corporate liability for the death or injury of a worker when it negligently, recklessly, intentionally, or knowingly causes the death or serious physical injury of its employees while they are on the job. End quote. A misdemeanor offense is three hundred to five hundred thousand dollars per occurrence, and a felony offense starts at five hundred thousand dollars and goes up to one mil. A criminal liability would be on the corporation when the conduct constituting the offense is committed by an agent of the corporation while acting within the scope of their employment. And on behalf of the corporation, the offense is in relation to a crime involving death or injury of a worker. So also. What's on here is what's included on here, and that's uh, the second part was my words, but uh, the first part was a quote right from the thing, right from the press release from the governor, is this. No, 
And also, what's has not been in the press releases here with this is that uh, all the little, so for example, you could get cited by OSHA, you can be cited by the city, and, and through this litigation causes law, there could be private litigation, there could be all different types of litigation involved here, and they're all uh, separate, right? They're all separate, and they can use evidence from one uh, uh, thing to another thing, as I understand, and I'm not an attorney, I don't play one on TV, uh, I'm here on the, a guy on the radio. So, uh, what's my point with all of this, all right? It's going to have certain impacts to things in New York. And I see this, if this is somewhat successful, if this is somewhat successful in New York, I see this catching on because there's been rumblings all across the country for a long time in the background from certain think tanks and uh, industry groups and things of that nature that... Uh, about this, about getting getting workers to be safer, work safer, and everything else. There's also been talk, and up in Canada, they were able to do this, where uh, workers themselves could be cited by a federal agency for that. I don't know what the effects have been. I really haven't seen any long-term effects on health and safety with that. And I think the pandemic screwed up everything as far as the economy, so goes and investigations and everything else so i don't know what's going to happen here with this but uh, what what do i see right off the bat here in new york i see a lot of companies right well let's back up osha what kind of citations do they have and i think that they're going to be updated this week I don't. I forget the exact numbers, but you can have a de minimis uh, citation. You can have a serious citation, other than serious, and willful's violation and a repeat violation. And fines run uh, just under, I believe, it's fourteen thousand dollars up to like one hundred and forty thousand dollars, depending on the circumstances and everything else. All of that's up to due to an update. I believe next week. I'm no. I'm when they issue an update. This will be, uh, when I issue an update, I'll let you know. Also, let me point out that a lot of the outreach courses you'll see out there, especially the ones online, now there's about eight companies that are allowed to do outreach training online. A lot of them have not updated their things in many years, and the laws were changed, I believe, in the mid-2010s, 2014, 2015, that uh, updated all of these things. So if you see 7,000 and 70,000 and things of that nature, that, you know you're dealing with old information. But essentially, what I what OSHA's rationale, especially this is what prompted this in New York, was there's going to be litigation in New York, especially in a slip and fall type of thing. We have a scap what's commonly called the scaffold law here in New York, where if someone falls at work or and a whole bunch of covered things, there are uh, the person could sue everybody. Building owner, you know, the contractor, the GC, uh, everybody involved, basically is my understanding. And uh, we could go into detail with that, but basically you could sue everybody. And that was meant to combat 
OSHA regulations, the small OSHA regulations, right? There is another way in here. And basically, we're still getting a lot of fatalities. A lot of contractors are out there, especially in the construction industry. This law is not only relevant to the construction industry the way it's written. It could be potentially all industries where they kept de minimis fines. So, for example, I know of several cases where the fines are very low. OSHA wanted to get an admission of guilt and then hoping that there was let, uh, a litigation and an attorney would go on to establishment search and say, oh, look, you guys already admitted guilt to this. Therefore, the litigation is not going, is going, not going to go well for you and you're going to get a bigger fine. So the whole idea is to get you to admit some type of guilt, some type of uh, admission. I know it's uh regulatory law, it's administrative law, that maybe guilt is the wrong word, but you get the idea. Now you're going to say, well, Jimmy, when did that ever happen? We recall that there was a amusement park in Florida, I believe it was 2009, where a trainer was killed by an animal. And the company knew about behavioral issues with the animal and allegedly did not have uh, and this is all alleged, did not have uh, 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 procedures in place to manage this thing. So they got them on, a, a trainer got killed, they got them on something, and it was a very de minimis fine, my opinion, about $9,000, $10,000, something like that. It was close to, uh, the, no, it was close to, uh, 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 no, it was multiple things, on there that was, you know, like two or three things, whatever it was. And you're, and this was a multi-billion dollar company. Still is. And they battled this thing out in court for years, eventually losing. Because what happened is, once they lost, all these other things could kick in. Lawsuits and everything else, and I believe that there were some lawsuits. I don't know how they ended up and everything else. I was involved and an accident investigation a number of years ago in New York State where there was a fatality and two other uh, uh, two other uh, uh, recordables with uh, this with this incident and OSHA went out there and it was a $1,900 fine and what their idea was and I spoke to one of the OSHA uh, people was that you know, who wasn't involved in this and their idea they do that because they want, they're looking for litigation with that. So that's one thing, right? And the other thing is this. OSHA is always uh, officially not concerned with punishment. They're in concerned with compliance and protecting workers. It's not meant to be a solely punitive type thing. We're going to come out and we're going to get you. That's not what OSHA is about, right? It's about compliance and protecting the worker. So in, uh, there was a case... Uh, uh, by a worker in 2017. You can look it up. His first name was Carlos. And he ended up, uh, ha it was a horrific accident that killed him. And the families and some other organizations were not very happy with the outcome with this, with OSHA and all the other litigation. So there was a movement started, and in the law after Carlos's law, and they put these ridiculous, in some way, they could be called ridiculous, 
fines in there compared to what they were. Uh, I, I don't mean ridiculous as far as stupid. They're not, I mean, they're probably this is all debated and this is probably warranted. And 300000 is $1 million. Amazingly high. And what? so what do I see? I see a lot of externalities happening here with this. Unintended consequences. Because I can see this. I can see the company asserting Miranda rights. Their no, right to remain silent. Right, anything you say or do can will be used in a court of law. And everything else that goes on there, in there with... Anytime a regulatory agency comes out there and does an investigation. This is often what companies will do anyway. They don't give any information on a lot of them, especially with a fatality uh, with this. Often what happens is the accident investigators, there is a private investigator involved. And that should be, when you see a private investigator, when you see a private person, not law enforcement or a government agent, investigating you probably a good idea ask them if they're a private investigator because at that point my understanding is that you have certain rights that kick in at that point uh with that uh no uh not kick in with that because for example in some states a private investigator and i'm not an attorney here but a private investigator has to follow certain protocols and procedures when doing an investigation because once a private investigator, there's someone who is privately collecting information that may be used in litigation uh, and things of that nature. And they are licensed by the state that they're in and you have certain protections and certain rights and they have certain procedures that they have to follow. So that would be a good thing uh, for you to ask. The second thing is this. They're not, what happens? OSHA and the other regulatory agencies, because now you have a potential criminal liability here, are not going to get the information I could, uh, that they need for, the, for, the, uh, for their investigation. I see uh, a lot of attorneys getting involved here, especially if you're going to be a health and safety professional. I think that you're not going to be allowed or it's going to be hindered, your investigation, and to any type of catastrophic, potentially uh, criminal thing, because you're going to have attorneys involved. And what's going to be the end result of that? It's going to be you're not going to get all the information. They're going to. The other thing is this the employee is already blamed. I did three days of training last week on uh, eight hour hazardous waste operations and emergency response, and also. Uh, confined space entry supervisor for construction and general industry. One of my clients had a special need where they needed supervisor training. We went into what, right, these are companies, small businesses that work for larger businesses, utilities, oil companies, you name it. Uh, anything in uh, very large companies, nationally known, internationally known. And they're, uh, a lot of their clients are very difficult to deal with. At least the upper-level people I know from my contacts here at Safety FM, a lot of the, the companies, they are familiar with HOP, higher-level people. But the organizations are not willing to go into HOP 
because it's going to be a major cultural shift or it's happening extremely slowly. So what happens is I go in there and I explain this is where they're at. This is where we need to be. This is what, why, where they're at probably. This is their thinking. This is where we need to be and everything else. And where are a lot of these organizations? They're out there blaming the employee rather than taking responsibility as management. I do not, I see more of the blaming of the employee, at least in New York, and not blaming the management. The other thing I see, how can this interact everywhere? Let's say that you have a company that's working in New York, and they also work elsewhere. When you go in through the discovery process, I could see it happening that they get information from other accidents, other incidents. So, for example, uh, there's one retailer that uh, retailer that's in a lot of places here that has a total proposed uh, citation amount of about $15.7 million since 2017 that's been negotiated down, vacated in some cases and things of that nature, all litigated. Wouldn't it be... Well, now you're involved in a criminal investigation here. Now, guess what? All of those records are now open. So you did something in Montana, let's say. I'm just making a state out of thin air. And your company is in New York and involved, gets involved with criminal, with an alleged criminal act in New York. Now, all of a sudden, we're going to go to Montana to get, hey, you had a similar incident out here. You didn't fix it. Now it's willful. And now, all of a sudden, holy no. You knew about this. You did nothing about it. Now you're to blame. Hmm. Another, right, unintended consequence with this. So, again, this has a lot of different, uh, this has a lot of different ways we could go here, at least in my thinking, with this. And, What's going to happen elsewhere? This is the good thing. We're okay. We're penalizing companies that are not responsible. We have prosecutorial judgment here. I imagine some cases that are egregious where they may assign it to a grand jury of some sort. However, I don't see this as a good thing all around, my opinion on this. So how do we combat this? All right. How do we do? How do we manage? We're safety managers here. There's a lot of different ways we can manage this. I had a conversation personal with every one of my clients that does business in New York. And I said to them very plainly, I explained to them this, right, and they're going to also get a copy of this, pod, this section of the program that uh, they're doing business in New York. This is what's, what might happen, number one. Number two, if I'm managing a job in New York and they're dealing with high-risk activity, they're doing things, right, with a, I do mostly construction and environmental cleanups. Uh, that's where I assist. That's where I consult. Guess what? One of these guys gets killed. You, you, there's a potential to get the 300000 up to a million dollar fine here. Not to scare you, not to be play chicken little or not anything like that, but... Do you really want to risk that? 
You think that, you know, someone falls and gets hurt? What a lot of these contractors think, well, they fall, they get hurt. So what? This is actually what I've heard. This is not something made up in Jimmy's head. So what? They get hurt? Workers' comp does a payout? We have insurance? We shut down? We start somewhere else next week. I don't think that's going to happen here with criminal activity. Because this is the other thing. The starting up next week as another company and everything, you have to keep that company open for like a year. Maybe more. I know somebody had who was closing a company. There was a tax issue. There was some regulatory issues. They weren't able to dissolve that company. Remember, companies are uh, formed in a state. Companies are not formed on the federal level. As far as I know, everything's done by, I've started a couple. Everything's done on the state. And the government did not allow them to resolve that company. So if they think that they're going to do something criminal, and they're going to get out of it. I don't think it's going to be that easy to get out of it. Mm. So that's what I have. And I wanted to go out there and hit out there. One of the, uh, right off the bat with this uh, thing. Now, one of my outline questions, maybe I can have a listener send me the um, answer to this, is this. One of my questions, I haven't been able to find it online or from any of my attorney friends. Uh, because it's so, such a new thing. It's only a week old here. And it that was signed on, I believe, the 23rd, the Friday before Christmas. Uh, and everybody was off the following week. I don't know. Uh, where, where was I going with this? Uh, I don't know if the government is uh, exempt from this. Usually the government exempts itself through sovereign immunity for this. And... I'm actually, I think everybody here knows my opinion on that. The government should not have sovereign immunity uh, protections when it comes to environmental issues and uh, health and safety, right? Most, uh, OSHA does not really regulate anything to do with public employers, the government. They rely on the government to regulate itself. And my opinion is that OSHA and everything, my opinion, not the station's opinion, my opinion is that the government should be have OSHA set up, and it should be just as strong as the federal OSHA. 33 states already have a state OSHA, something like that, 37 states. Uh, we, knew, we found out how effective they were at protecting workers during the pandemic. And that's why uh, my question, will government agencies... Who put their own workers at risk and semi, uh, you know, uh, government, a quasi government, not semi quasi government agencies be exempt from this? I don't know. We'll see how this uh, works out. And we're going to go to break uh, right now. In the professional safety community, communication and planning are just a few keys to your program's success. The question many practitioners have is, where do I start? Dr. Jay Allen, the creator of the Safety FM platform and host of the Rated R Safety Show, has built a global foundation to help you along the way. Go to safetyfm.com and listen to some of the industry's best and most involved professionals, including Blaine Hoffman with the Safety Pro, Sam Goodman with the Hop Nerd, Sheldon Primus with the Safety Consultant, Jim Pozell with Safety Wars, Emily Elrod with Unapologetically Bold, and many others. 
As individuals, we can do great things. But as a team, we become amazing. Dial into safetyfm.com today and surround yourself with a powerful force of knowledge and support. OSHA recordables, first aid cases, catastrophic losses. You want answers? So do I. This is Jim Polzel with Safety Wars. I'm sorry, I did not have the microphone on. I went into a coughing fit here. Do do do. We're gonna do financial news next. Gold at 1883, 40 up slightly. Silver down slightly at 2389. Platinum down at 112280. Palladium up at 1820 50. Going down to the uh, markets, we have. Dow Jones Industrial, 33,517.65, down by 0.34%. S&P 500, down by 0.08% to close at 38.92. NASDAQ, up by 0.63% at 10,635.65. Russell, 2,000, 17,95.91, up slightly at um, 0.17%. U.S. 10-year Treasury note is up slightly at 3.536%. Bitcoin. Bitcoin is inching up slowly but surely at 1875. Uh, I'm sorry, Bitcoin, 17, 18, no, Bitcoin, this is Bitcoin, 1793.57. Crude oil is down slightly at this recording at 7461. Sorry about that, everybody. I hate the dead air space, right? So, some environmental news here. And we've been waiting for this. I have been waiting for this since uh, the mid-80s, where my friends used to laugh at me over the ozone layer, that, where I wrote a report, I believe, in this 82 or 83 on the ozone layer. And a rare good news for the planet. This is from CNN. Earth's, Earth's ozone layer is on track to recover completely within decades as ozone-depleting chemicals are phased out around the world. Those are chlorofluorocarbons, basically anything with chlorine in it. Right, uh, they were often found in refrigerators, aerosol solvents, meaning that deodorants, right, the aerosol deodorants and things of that nature, anything in aerosol can. The ex, uh, the uh, not the accelerate the 
I'll talk like uh, a. Uh, I'll talk like a. Uh, one of the races on Star Trek, the stuff that makes the stuff go. Uh, the the stuff that makes the stuff go. Yeah, uh, they were in aerosol cans. They used to put them in there to make everything flow out of it, right? Chlorofluorocarbons. Uh, international cooperation helped stem the damage. The U.S. CFC says decreased by 99% since the Montreal Protocol went into force in 1989, which began the phase out of those and other ozone harming chemicals. The little inside Iggy is is on this is that the companies were pushing for this because they already had, uh, they already had a market set up. They already had things uh, set up to, so they could outcompete everybody else. Uh, so basically, what they're looking at uh, by twenty forty, which is not that far away now, the ozone hole is going to recover, and in the polar areas, the recovery is going to be between. 2045 and 2066. So most of the world by 2040, rest of the world Arctic by 2066. So that's actually less than 100 years. Who would have thought it would have taken that long? But uh, that's good. Uh, what we're now will it actually help the planet with uh, public health benefits or anything else? I'll look that up one one of these days. So uh, here's something uh, in a lot of cities as we're going on in. Uh, now, we are in afternoon drive time in San Diego, right, uh, 5 o'clock. Our hands are tied. Incidents of homeless violence raise concerns is from the San Diego Union Tribune. So, and this is not all, this is not only going on in the uh, uh, San Diego or California or anything like that. We see this going on all over the country, especially, and it seems to be in areas uh, where, uh, a lot of areas where there is drug legalization in one form or another, marijuana uh, or decriminalization, is that homeless encampments are rounding up. So, for example, Denver, Seattle. I've been uh, I've been to these places. Uh, uh, Denver, Seattle, recently. Denver, Seattle, areas like that. There is huge homeless encampments where they were not there before. And what happens? Lawlessness. A lot of people who need help, right? And According to some of these sources, uh, law enforcement are unable to intervene or unwilling to intervene with this for whatever reason. Again, COVID had an incident with this. Uh, with this, uh, saying well, a lot of uh, places were not uh, were not. Uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? We're not arresting people, and that's. Uh, a sad thing. That's up and above. I think we our system is broken here, as far as uh, addressing the homeless problem uh, throughout. Uh, no, throughout the company, throughout my entire life. Really, it started mainly in the early 1970s. That's where a lot of the uh, awareness of this issue came up. Every town, you know, where and what happened in the 70s uh, is a lot of. Uh, uh, places closed for mental health. Uh, a lot of veteran services. A lot of these people are veterans. They went. They, they no. They uh, were cut. Try dealing with the VA. Have a family member that has to deal deal with the Veterans Administration. It ain't so fun. It ain't so easy. We have a broke system here with managing homeless people, and I see this problem getting worse. They're not criminals. They're not evil. 
people down as my father so aptly and wisely used to tell us. One or two bad mistakes in life, one or two bad things happen in life, you can be homeless, just as easy as them. All right? And he was not an us and them person. He was a, hey, we got to help everybody type of thing if they want it. Right? If they're willing to accept it. If they're not willing to accept it, doesn't mean you give up on them. Right? Help people. Get along with people. That sort of thing. She was catching a flight in Florida. Then TSA noticed her emotional support snake. So, of course, in Florida. Right? This happened in Tampa. Last month, a woman traveling through Tampa International Airport attempted to stow her boa constrictor in her carry-on luggage, according to the TSA. A TSA treat shows the x-ray of the four-foot creature that passed through the screening machine passengers must navigate. Yeah, here it is on thing, right? This is part, this is a quote from the TSA, Lisa Farbstein. I'm pronouncing it the German way, Farbstein. Right, TSA spokesperson. Snake on a plane? This is at a TSA x-ray of Bartholomew, a boa constrictor who was in a traveler's carry-on bag at, at Fly TPA last month. Women claimed the snake was her emotional support pet. TSA notified the airline, which ruled that there was not going to be a snake on their plane. Hey, that sounds like it could be a movie. Right? Maybe we could get Nicolas Cage to star in it. So, and reminiscent of, uh, this happened twice. It was on a, uh, 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 TV Cooper in the 70s, hijacked the plane and jumped out the uh, door of the plane. Never to, they never really solved the case. They had, but they had it. No one was convicted. Uh, he hijacked the plane with money. Jumped out of the plane somewhere in the Pacific Northwest, never to be found, uh, never to be discovered. Uh, the other thing was in, uh, I believe it was the early 1990s, a plane depressurized and the roof came off of a Hawaiian plane, plane uh, to Hawaii or from Hawaii. And here we go. This is a shocking moment when plane doors sprang open midair as panicked passengers feared they would be blown out. The pilot of the Russian flight, so it was from Russia, right? Was forced to make an emergency landing. And yeah, I guess so. And minus 41 degrees Celsius conditions as luggage was sucked out of the plane. And Antonov, AN-26. And of course, people were filming it with their smartphone. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I think I'd be saying my prayers at this moment. And no, let's talk about this. How many people on a plane actually go and listen to the flight attendant with the safety briefing. If you do, I'm going to tell you, uh, if you do, uh, you're more likely to survive in an accident. Right? So, we, no, I always listen with my kids. I'm like, shut up. Oh, daddy, daddy, shut up. We're listening to the flight attendant. But, 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 and, she, and then before you know it, they got into a problem. Okay. Here we have freaky weather in California, which we've been going for. So we've talked about, really since disaster uh, preparation month in September, the need to make sure that you assess your uh, needs in a disaster. One of them being 
power. Right now, they're having a lot of freaking weather over in uh, California. No, they have no cyclones. uh, They're calling bombs, and this no, uh, no, Arctic bomb went off. And what's happening? Power outages. A lot of evacuations, a lot of flooding, and everything else. So make sure you go out and uh, well, uh, assess what your hazards are. Where are you going to go? What's our hazard? Is it a flooding river? I remember back in 2007, 2008, in uh, the Delaware River that crested in, over by the Delaware Water Gap in northern New Jersey, in the border of the border of Pennsylvania and New Jersey. I don't know what the Pennsylvania motto is, but right, they were on the border of liberty and prosperity and the state to the west, Pennsylvania. And uh, basically, the... Uh, there was a bomb cyclone in, uh, up here. There was all different types of things going on. Delaware River flooded. And I always wondered why all those houses along the Delaware on stilts. Guess what? We found out why. The, the uh, flooding was up to the, uh, up to the uh, overpasses on Route 80 going into Pennsylvania right next to the gap. And... They, they were still open, you know. You didn't realize the water was that high until you were in the middle of a freaking overpass. It's like, whoa. Well, you know, hopefully I bought I brought an overnight bag because I don't think I'm getting home. We ended up having to go a very circuitous route home on the way back from there. Uh, so there's mudslides in Fresno. There are water rescues on the Ventura River. You have missing children. Thousands are without power, everything else. So the question is this, what are your hazards and how are you going to prepare for them? Okay, hold on, hold on. So here we have uh, a story on, and this has been talked about for a long, long, long time, is... Uh, should we ban gas stoves? I mean, gas stoves, you can gas in the house. Gas appliances. So we were touted for many years that natural gas is better than a lot of other things for pollution. So what happens? People go. They convert over to natural gas versus uh, electric now there, now there's a now, and then they move now, and a lot of the, especially people who cook a lot, right? I grew up on an electric range, right? That means when you turn it on, it takes you gotta wait. A lot of people are not that patient. They want to turn on that flame, and they want to see that flame, and they want to go. And especially if they have a double boiler like me, where you have, you know, you have a, a not a double, it's a two uh, jets. Combined into one, this is like a commercial range. I, you know, reminiscent. You want to, you want to, put that percolator for coffee on in the morning. Guess what? Oh, you're done in like ten minutes with percolating that thing. Versus an electric one where you're waiting there for 15, 20 minutes. Well, Jim, you don't use one of the instant ones like Keurig, and yeah, I got those. But come on. On the weekend, isn't it nice to have, or if you're at home, not in a hurry, isn't it really nice to have an, a, 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 a nice brewed cup of coffee the old-fashioned way, your way your grandmother used to make it? 
you know, but anyway, I digress. So what happened was you have indoor air uh, issues, especially if you have a power outage. Often the gas in the lines will last between two to three days. There's enough pressure built in there, enough volume, two or three days. So what happens? People go and they use it as a form of heating. They get carbon monoxide poisoning. The other thing is this. There's been documented studies over the years that carbon monoxide has issues and indoor air quality issues related to it uh, impact especially children's health with asthma and other respiratory ailments and things of that nature. So there's a move to get away. This has been talked about for at least 20 years. Now they're really now they're really talking about it again in the government. So. Uh, federal, EPA, and some of the other agencies. So we'll keep an eye on that, but that's what's coming down. Here we have a story out of England. And again, this is another one, right? Single-use items like plastic cutlery, plates, and polystyrene trays will be banned in England. According to the government, they don't know when this is going to happen. So if you remember, your Big Macs back in the 70s and early 80s were in polystyrene. And that became unfashionable. I believe it had to do with the way they were manufactured, CFCs, that sort of thing, ozone layer, from what I recall. Don't quote me on that. But And also we had, I believe it was in 82, the garbage forage from New York that went all up and down the eastern seaboard looking for a home. You could Google that. You don't believe me. And... They got rid of So what happened was a McDonald's, I don't believe Burger King had it, but McDonald's or any of the other fast food, they had polystyrene containers. They ended up going and getting rid of them into the now the corrugated cardboard ones, and I think they used wrap for a while to reduce landfill waste. Now, uh, certain uh, cities and states like New Jersey have banned single-use plastic bags in the grocery store when you're buying your grocery Groceries, uh, some uh, uh, cities have banned plastic uh, uh, in the garbage, like plastic forks, plastic knives, and everything else. So you end up, people end up going to buy them from online sources and everything else. And what the world are they concerned about? They're concerned about plastics ending up on land, right? Not having enough land taking up. Now, also, if you go into uh, places like the Maldives, uh, Pacific, I believe there's one in uh, the in the Pacific, which Maldives, I believe, is in India, Indian Ocean, not the Pacific, but anyway, in the Pacific, and I believe there's one in Atlantic Ocean, what do you see? You see plastics all over the place. You see plastics, microplastics all over the place. And, it's, and when we were told especially with the plastic bags back in the early 80s, that these were going, we were shamed into using them. We used to have paper bags, right? And if you brought your own bag in, a reused bag where I was from in New Jersey, they, they got you on shoplifting, all right? It was like you got highly scrutinized. Not so much anymore. They don't even worry about shoplifting anymore, especially if it's less than $1,000. Uh, but basically... What happened? Use these plastic bags because you're going to save the rainforest. Really? Yes, Jimmy. And I, you know, you're a 
11, 12 years old. Okay, hey, mommy, daddy, we have to use these, you know, the plastic bags, they're getting rid of the paper bags, blah, blah, blah. They always had the paper bags. My father was like, I don't think this is going to end well, Jimmy. I said, well, I don't know. This is what they say, and there's a big recycling push and everything else. Now, we figure out, well, well, why should we use them? Well, because they're biodegradable. They're not going to end up in the landfill. Now, we have microplastics throughout the environment. They're completely ubiquitous. Right? Why why are we getting away from paper bags? Because we're going to save the Amazon forest. That's how it was communicated to us. Right? And virtue signaling and everything else. They probably should have stayed with the paper bags. You might not have these issues. And glass bottles, for that matter. Because, hey, we got to recycle everything. Well, now they got glass bottles. They have huge cyclones. All the, uh, no, uh, uh, yeah, I guess they are cyclones. Whirlpools all over the... Uh, Ocean in the world's oceans with plastic bottles. Didn't have that problem with glass. Did we have trash? Oh yeah. Growing up in Woodbridge, New Jersey, I can tell you we used to get all every time it rained, and there was an extraordinary high uh, high tide. Guess what? Everything from the Fresh Kills landfill in Staten Island ended up in Woodbridge. Until uh, Mayor, he was mayor then, and he became governor. McGreevy filed multiple lawsuits on. New York, and finally, they were forced to close the Fresh Kills landfill. But every once in a while, we still get stuff washing up. It's, you know, a horrible thing. So when will this plastic van go into England? Probably 2026, full enforcement, phased in. Okay, now we're going to go into the new segment where you're going to be, no, they're pranking, uh, they're uh, manipulating you. We have three stories here, but I want to start out first with a funny one because I think this is pretty funny. Oklahoma Wildlife Agency just wants to talk after a prankster's viral cougar sighting reply was, Your mother. Twitter accounts managed by New Jersey and Virginia's transportation agency got weighed, uh, weighed, in, on the, got weighed in on the matter. Oklahoma wildlife officials just want to talk with a prankster who appeared to purposefully mistake a cougar, the wild animal, with a slang term used to describe middle-aged women who date younger men. Yes, there was a cougar, uh, as everybody knows in my family, a cougar. I was a victim of one of these cougar attacks uh, last year where a celebrity, I'm not going to mention her name, had asked me out to dinner. And it was my celebrity crush from like 30 years ago when I was a very much younger man. And I was like, you know what? Sorry, I'm married. But anyway, that was my response. But anyway, slang term used to uh, middle age who date younger men, even invoking someone's mother on a report to use to document sightings of the large cat. And on Monday, actually, the Oklahoma Department of Wildlife Conservation asked the so-called observer to contact them for a chat. Whoever filled out a cougar sighting report and wrote your mother under the description, drop your at symbol. We just want to talk. Well, this is actually pretty funny with these pranks because New Jersey was the victim of this also uh, with this. All right. Uh, with this, many years ago with the coyote sighting where uh, they had a huge coyote hunt in South Jersey and they, right, sold permits and everything else and only one coyote was ever found and shot. 
Well, it turns out it was the same people, thousand people reporting the same coyote, right? So they thought, oh, we got thousands of coyotes in South Jersey. See, they, uh, they were the laughing stock. But here we go into your being manipulated. I got to get good intro music. How are we being manipulated here? Right? Classified documents from, there's a report here, right? Classified documents from Biden's time as vice president, pardon me, discovered at Penn Biden Center, White House says. The president used the Penn Biden Center's office space from mid-2017 until he began the 2020 campaign. A batch of records from President Biden signed as vice president, including a small number of documents, was with classified markings were discovered at the Penn Biden Center by the presidential attorneys on November 2nd. Hmm, what happened around November 2nd? Let's go look on the calendar for that one. What happened? Oh, it was election day. It wasn't one of the issues about the election on classified documents being stored improperly. So now we find out about this two months later, after the election. As, no, uh, and basically on the first day of business, when we get a new uh, party in charge of Congress, Right? Amazing how that works out, right? May, oh, maybe we should have the swamp music here, right? With that. Incredible how that works out. Wow. The National Archives were notified of the finding took possession of the documents on November 3rd. Oh, that was before the election, too. Wow. The documents... We're not subject of any previous requests. Well, okay, they did one thing good. They found them. They turned them in. Wow. Incredible. True. Pfizer, flat board member, Dr. Scott Godley, flag tweets questioning the COVID uh, vaccine. The latest Twitter files involving the Tetron's response to the pandemic puts a focus on Dr. Scott Gottlieb a former FDA commissioner and sitting board member of prominent COVID vaccine manufacturer Pfizer. A local, a vocal, COVID contrarian news, past commentary on the vaccine has been received, scorned by critics and praised by fans for this latest to be granted access to Elon Musk's Twitter files, publishing his finding. Right, Benson shared on August... An August 2021 email Gottlieb sent to Twitter's seen allegedly, this is, I don't know if it's true or not, this is what the report says, sent to Twitter's senior public policy manager flagging a tweet written by a former Trump administration official who had written, quote, it is now clear hashtag COVID-19 national immunity is superior to the vaccine immunity by a lot. There is no specific justification for Hashtag vax proof if a person had prior infection, end quote. So basically, uh, according to the reports, uh, Gottlieb's email to Twitter's strategic response team, writing, please see this report from former FDA commissioner, blah, blah, blah. And got, the tweet was later slapped as uh, misleading. Wow. Hmm, that's another one. Are you being lied to? Are we being manipulated? I think that's got to be a question that we answer here on everything with this, and it's a shame that we have to continuously do this. Look deeper and everything. Don't accept anything on from me or anybody else 
on face value. Go and check it out for yourself. That's what my thing is. Don't believe me. Say, like, oh, go out and look it up. If I'm wrong, I'll issue a retraction. I always do. If I'm off face, guess what? I get called out on it. Guess what? I'll issue. I'll apologize and everything. But I, I mean, this is going on again and again and again. Manipulate people. Keep people in a state of stress. And now they're able to be manipulated again and again and again. This is Saul Alinsky's Rules for Radicals, which I think I'm going to have to go over again because things keep on coming up. Keep your opponent off balance. That way you can institute cultural change and other changes. So if they keep everybody in anxiety, this is what happens. Here's our last story here. And again, I'm not advocating any political candidates here or anything. I think pretty much most of them suck. All right, here, all right. Washington Post admits Russia trolls had little influence on 2016 voters after years of hyping their role in Trump's win. Trump's win in 2016. Again. Uh, in a report from the papers of a cybersecurity trio 2 newsletter headline, Russian trolls on Twitter had little influence on 2016 voters. The Post cited a new study from the New York University Center for Social Media and Politics that analyzed what sort of impact this information, misinformation, had on one social media platform. Again, the first day that uh, Congress is in session, they're coming out with all this stuff. They couldn't come out with this stuff before last election, before the midterms, before 2020. Really? Wow, incredible. Again, you are all being manipulated here. And we got, and I would implore everybody to be careful, be vigilant with that. And that's all I got tonight for safety words. I look forward to being back tomorrow, unless something, I have family situations going on. Again, I have uh, three members of my family with COVID right now. Uh, from uh, um, So, uh, we're managing here. We're managing here, folks. And that is Safety Wars, where it is. You are listening to Safety Wars. Tomorrow's safety today. Good night, everybody. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise, without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen.